Helen Dalton, MP, waiting online patiently. Hello, Helen. Yeah, hi. How are you doing? Yeah, good. We we started a conversation about uh, women's menstruation this morning and the phones have just gone crazy. It's an issue. Oh, but, Period. Oh, but, but absolutely it is. I've got three girls too. So, uh, Period poverty. I know all about it. It's apparently mm-hmm. a real thing. One in five Australian women are forced to improvise on period products over the cost and it's only gotten worse during the pandemic with obviously a lot of uh, single parents and part-time workers not getting uh, the sort of money that they're used to, Helen, uh, pre-pandemic and they're having to resort to, you know, using socks and toilet paper and tissues and all sorts of other things and ultimately that's okay in an emergency but, you know, as far as sanitary is concerned, it's it's not really a viable long-term alternative. No, not at all and I think Cindy made um, some very good points and the other uh, really good point she made too uh, is that women do understand, and if you are in trouble, just ask another woman, and we're always helping each other out. So um, mm. I think that's a fair point. Okay, let's pick on Barilaro, shall we? Um, I know it's one of <laughs> your favourite topics. Um, look, I'm I'm not surprised. Uh, he's been in the press in in the last week with his mates at the Daily Telegraph, and that's fine. Uh, he wrote a, an opinion editorial the other day saying how vaccine is how rural New South Wales can repay the favour. He's their front page story today, um, talking about how dare Queensland and Victoria even think about taking away you know, the Rugby League Grand Final from Sydney and he's going to damn well fight for it, all the rest of it. Mm. I think John's in a little trouble and the Nationals are in a heap of trouble in the regions. Am I right? Well, oh, I think so. It's a pity It's a pity he didn't fight for the damn regions. I mean, he seems to be focused on the footy rather than us out here, given that we're only, for as far as the AstraZeneca, not the AstraZeneca, the Pfizer, Pfizer. that's been yeah. taken away from us... Mm-hmm. Um, we know that uh, only 16% of, Murray, of the Murray region has been vaccinated, and that um, we've got essential workers and uh, vulnerable people and a, and a, a huge um, Indigenous population that aren't fully vaccinated. 40,000 uh, doses of Pfizer that were slated to go into regional areas has been directed, uh, redirected into metropolitan Sydney. Uh, it's in order to get the kids vaccinated and back to school in a week or so's time. How? Why are we doing this when the teachers themselves, the Teachers Federation and others, uh, they're upset about it. Um, they don't want face-to-face learning returning because they they can't get access to vaccines themselves anyway. That's right. And, 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 and really, vaccinating Year 12 students in Sydney is really not going to halt the spread of COVID. Not really when you have the teachers that are not vaccinated. Um, it, it just seems to be... Um, I don't, I, I, I'm sort of speechless, really, um, and outraged about what's going on. So the government seems to have these vague, inconsistent rules, and um, it's really, um, you know, it's making these double standards are making it very, very difficult for people to understand and, and get behind the government mm. because it's just uh, they're not consistent. Well, there are increased calls, and we've talked about it this morning with some Labor MPs, Helen, and increased calls for the Premier uh, to stick true to a word to release the health advice. Uh, and, and that's just as important for people in regional New South Wales and for regional MPs like yourself to be able to see. I mean, I, would, I know you would love to get your hands on all the data, all of the health advice being uh, provided by Dr Kerry Chant, and uh, no-one's criticising Dr Chant. 
Um, and I don't want to. I don't even want to criticise the premier because you know she says she's acting on the health advice. Well, if that's so, and we're facing the toughest restrictions, and we're taking away vaccines from regional areas. Can we please see the health advice? It needs to be transparent. There needs to be accountability and scrutiny of of lockdowns and restrictions, so we know we're on the right track. And if mistakes have been made, no one wants a gotcha moment. We need to learn from them and just move on. Well, I think, too, that the Premier should um, discuss some of these um, rule changes before she makes the rule changes. Um, she could talk to the councils and she could talk to the border MPs or, or other um, MPs around the state. But they just do make these changes and then we find out and there are consequences that she's never, ever thought of because she lives in Sydney and doesn't live out here. And um, that's where we're at all the time. Even the Rural Doctors Association did not support her decision um, taking the Pfizer to Sydney, and nor did the Teachers' Federation. So that, that's very, very telling. Well, then why are these decisions being made without consult, uh, consulting every other stakeholder? You'd think when major decisions like this are made affecting vast um, uh, amounts of the population of New South Wales, that perhaps rather than making these snap decisions on the run, you would uh, obviously get the health advice and then you would speak to stakeholders and get their opinions. Why is everything so determined on the health advice, <laughs> which, of course, we can't see? No, I find it, it, it the New South Wales government just make these decisions. In business, we've got to consult with everyone. Um, I consult with all my constituents before I make a decision because you're governing for everyone. You're not just... Um, we, we don't live in a, a totalitarian gov uh, country. Well, I didn't think we did. And, and if, the, if we have consensus around these decisions, then we wouldn't be talking about this today because the whole community would be behind the decisions. It would be for the greater good or, or whatever. But there are really unintended consequences for some of these things. Yeah. And I think people feel... We feel hurt and alienated that she hasn't spoken to us before making those decisions. And, of mm. course, we've got to then change tack. With what are we going to do? How are we going to protect our most um, vulnerable? And yeah. how are we going to protect our essential workers? All right, just before I let you go, you released a video this week, or oh, in the last week, on your social media platform talking about water. Just explain to my listeners uh, where the video came from and why we should be concerned by it. The video is, is basically from ducks to water, giving a presentation about the benefits of, of owning water. And um, ducks to water, they've got a big portfolio of water. They have a lot of almonds in their ag portfolio too. Yep. But the, um, the CEO is actually in this video saying what a wonderful thing it is and that virtually we are looking forward to the next um, the next drought because um, it'll be a perfect storm because we know that um, crops like nuts have been overplanted and with government buybacks of water and the next drought which which is not around it you know which is always well it could be around the corner we don't know it, it is so they're looking forward to the price of temporary water and permanent water going up extraordinarily high so invest in us because we're you know we're in the know mm. and um he also compared uh, the u.s water prices therefore uh for um permanent water to uh thirty thousand dollars of 
Australian dollars here yeah. for high security permanent water. At the moment, it's 8000 So he's saying, well, look, it's going to go all the way up to that. Um, you know, let's let's wait for this drought. So we got. Hang on, let me get this right. We've got a corporate company speculating on on the price of water rising in the next drought, and and how wonderful it's going to be for for them and their shareholders to take advantage of it and pump the price of water up. Uh, so, in other words, it means that they will profit from a drought. Absolutely, fun for investors. <laughs> we get a huge free cash flow. Oh, Basically, man. they're speculating. Or, or yeah, speculating on hardship and misery for us in the bush. And not only that, it just rolls out into what we have here as a diversity of agricultural, or, you know, production of ag. We basically have a, a harvest every month here. But we're going to see that diversity of agriculture fold where you'll have just nuts or just whatever. Um, we've already seen that with um, in my area where we once had not that long ago about 90 dairies. Here, yeah, now it's all and they've dropped dropped down to below 20. Mm. So are people going to be happy with us um, in importing milk? Because that's where we're up to. That's what's going to happen oh, God, because no. we'll price ourselves out, yeah. and those ag um, commodities such as nuts can afford to pay for the water at the moment. At the moment, they can. And that just, um, the water goes to them. And, of course, for me as a, a rice grower or, a, you know, I might produce corn, mm. I can't afford it. I cannot afford it. It pays me. I will make more money selling my water to them, and therefore I shut up shop for the summer. Okay. So, in other words, we're pushing uh, farming operations to now dabble in water rather than providing food. Uh, which is essential in a food bowl situation for for exports and for feeding our population. Wonderful, well done, Nationals. Fantastic stuff, Helen. Well, thank you. <laughs> yes, no, that's. Uh, I know it's. Uh, we we've got to be very aware of what's going on. I think.